wonderful to be near my house here in Enumclaw. We just live over in Bonnie Lake as uh, my wife Carissa and I moved up here uh, last summer and uh, happened to be a part of the Washington Conference. Um, so often, pastors' spouses follow their preacher husbands around. And that means having to move and start again and all of that. So we had no idea. And the reason I'm telling you some of this is because it relates to our message today. We had no idea a year and a half that we would have an address in Bonnie Lake, Washington, that I would be vice president of the conference, that my wife would be principal at Northwest Christian School. We sought none of that. But God said, we need you. Thankful for that. Very, very thankful for that. It is a privilege to serve God and to follow him. I'm thankful to be here for a number of reasons, one of which I hope that the message that you receive today will encourage your faith in God. Now, that's a pretty wide and broad topic. We're going to hone in on it a little bit. But let me ask you a question. I'm going to wander around just to make sure this microphone is working. How is your faith in God today? Well, preacher, when you ask a question, do you really expect me to shout out an answer? It's okay. It's all right. But where we're going in our journey today, I hope as we look at a couple of Old Testament stories, that it has a very meaningful, practical application for your faith journey today. Yesterday, I decided it was time to renew my passport. It's expiring in December, and I figured, you know, I better get things rolling here if I want to come back into this country after traveling outside it at some point. So I went to a local government agency, which half the doors were locked and closed and signs were everywhere. And I'm like, are these people ever around or, you know, so that did me no good. So I went to the post office in Sumner down the hill and, well, we only take those by appointments on Tuesdays and we're kind of booked out for a couple of months. And well, let's see, that's uh, September, October. Yeah, that's not going to help me. Um, well, where else can I go? They said, well, if you go over to Tacoma, (laughs) you know, getting further and further away from my house here, but if you go over to Tacoma, they take walk-ins. I thought, well, I'm a (laughs) walk-in. So I went over there, and sure enough, they do take walk-ins, like the DMV. They take walk-ins, right? Can you kind kind of picture that with me a little bit? You walk in, and you eventually walk out. That's what I was expecting. To my surprise, because I had gotten one of, the, one of those renewal applications and took it with me, and I was going to fill that out while I waited. But, you know, you, you go up to that little touch screen they have now. It's all fancy, and you kind of, yeah, I'm here for this and that. And they put you, prints a ticket, you know, and you go and sit down until they call your number, right? When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I found my spot, and before I could finish the zip code of my address, they called my number. Well, this is very good news. So I went over to the counter, and I said, you know, I'm really embarrassed here because I really don't even have the application filled out. 
And, and, and she looked at it, you know, turned it around, looked at it. And she says, oh, well, we share the same birthday. I thought that was kind of cool. All right, we share the same birthday. January 10, in case you're curious. But she says, you're filling out the wrong form. I thought, oh boy, okay, well, here we go. I wonder how long and drawn out this is all going to take. She then took out a different form, tore it in half, circled an address, filled out a few things and says, here you go. Just like that. Now, I had to fill the application out, but the address she had circled is where I was going to send it. And I was out of there in five minutes. I thought I was going to spend a significant portion of my life in that line. As we go through life, we have certain expectations. And not just of the little things of life, but of the big ones too. Let me ask you a question. I used to use the illustration of Donald Trump as a wealthy individual. And well, I'm just not going to. If Bill Gates were to come up to you and ask you this question. Y'all know who Bill Gates is, of course. You know, he has a few means to draw from. If Bill Gates came up to you and asked, what can I do for you? Would you have an answer? Would, would you would you uh, pull out that Christmas list you started working on because you've already seen decor in Costco and Walmart? You know, <laughs> would you think, oh, Wow. What should I ask for? What would be appropriate? I mean, here one of the wealthiest men in the world is asking me what he can do for me. I'm not sure I'd know how to answer. Perhaps you'd say, you know, we have been really working hard on paying off our mortgage. Could you help me out with that? You know, our car is really broken. We would address a need that we had. And, and again, a person of such wealth would easily, perhaps even reach in their pocket and bring out a roll of cash enough to meet that need. I find it interesting how many times within just a few chapters, turn with me in your Bible or your Bible app, to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. In our Sabbath school discussion, we talked about how our, our smartphones have not made us so smart. <laughs> how they can kind of control our lives a little bit. And I, I'm not offended at all if I see that warm glow on your chin if you're looking at your device. and Because I'll assume you're following along in the text as we go through a few of these wonderful stories of these Old Testament prophets, Elijah... And Elisha. These two came together because Elijah had been going about his ministry for a career of 40 some years. His associate pastor, Elisha, they do appear in alphabetical order just to kind of keep them straight. They had been serving together for several years and Elijah knew his time on earth was about up. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, And so it was, when they had crossed over the river, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, 
exclamation point. I'm reading from the New King James. Ask, exclamation point. That's how it's translated here. One word and then an exclamation point. Ask. If this was me in conversation, I might say, hey, hey, ask me anything. Here is simply translated, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? This man of God, this spiritual giant, this prophet, This individual who stood on the top of Carmel and prayed and fire came down from heaven so hot it burned up rocks. What can I do for you? Wow, what a question. I love his answer. Elisha said, please, we should always say please. Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. I believe as followers of Jesus, we should pray for a double portion of God's Spirit to be upon us. That that's really the seed, the water, the fertilizer all mixed together that will produce growth in our hearts and souls. Without it, we're dead. Did you notice in our Scripture reading in Galatians 2, How it said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Another way to say that is I, the sinful man I used to be, is dead. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who, by the way, I'm his favorite. I am. I'm his favorite. And so are you. (laughs) We're His children. We are adopted by His grace. We belong to Him. He created us. Satan tries to take us away from Him and He bought us back by His very own blood. Hallelujah. 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha and the widow's oil. Oh, a familiar bedtime story. There's a lot of bedtime stories that are helpful to a child falling asleep. There are others that we've used, like David and Goliath, and others that like, woo, you know, scary scenes. But here we are, a widow and her sons, and they are not only out of money, they have run up debt, in which the next step is for her to sell her own children to become slaves. This is a horrible circumstance. The creditors are coming. To take my sons to be slaves. Verse 2. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? I wonder where he learned that. Where was that modeled? (laughs) Elisha is saying, What shall I do? How can I help you? And then he asked, Tell me, what do you got in the house? Has someone ever invited themselves over for lunch or for for supper and you kind of knew there wasn't much in the cupboard? (laughs) With God, who desperately wants to be invited in, it matters not what's in the cupboard, drawer, or closet. He just wants to come in. 
And I love how in this little story, it's like, I want to do something for you, but where is our starting point? What do you have now? What are your resources? Let, let's, let's check and see how much you got. <laughs> like Jesus, as he modeled to the disciples who had come to him with this problem of, well, Jesus, uh, there's a great multitude here and we should really send them home because the hour is late. And Jesus said, well, why don't you give them something to eat? And they said, who, us? Let's see, what do we got? And they pulled out five measly loaves and two fish. That was their starting point. And what did Jesus do with that? This woman says, I have but a little oil. That's what I got. Go borrow vessels from everywhere. How far is everywhere? As far as your faith will take you. That's where these two sons, who are not going to be slaves, go out and gather from their neighbor. The first Tupperware party on record. They gather all these vessels in the home. And she begins pouring oil out of faith from the prophet's direction. She just begins pouring the oil and she fills the first vessel all the way to the brim and she goes to the next one and and then she sees what's happening and she doesn't want to stop pouring and so they just kind of, you know, when you're trying to pour water into 20 Dixie cups all the way, you just kind of keep pouring and a little bit spills in between. You just keep going down the line and keep going and In my church in Boulder, Colorado, we volunteered for a race called the Boulder Boulder. You had to be bold to run in the Boulder Boulder. A 10K up and down the hills and finishing in the stadium of the University of Colorado. Really quite a scene of almost 50,000 runners and walkers and joggers and all the like. Our church volunteered to set up the water station At the beginning of the race, right where all the different waves that would go by a and then a A, and then B and then BB and they just lined up for blocks. It seemed like miles. It looked like the exodus. There were so many people and they would come by and we filled up thousands of little cups with water. That was our job. (laughs) We, uh, put a filter on a garden hose and that's how we did. We didn't have a, you know, like the, we didn't have an, an end, but there was enough water to fill every last vessel they had gathered. We forgot some of the instructions. Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Oh, those are two powerful words. We need to be empty vessels, don't we? Empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Gather as many as you can find. And when you have come in and you have shut the door behind you. You know, God is not worried about showing off. Sometimes in our prayer life, a blessing or an answer will come that that only we know about. And then it's up to us to maybe share as testimony to others. 
But it's as if they're gathering these vessels and they are sealing themselves inside this house to receive this tremendous miracle of oil. And it pours and it pours and it pours. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring another vessel. And he said, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. There was exactly enough oil given as there was vessels ready to receive it. God is asking you, what can I do for you? I have to admit, my faith is pretty small. Many times. I want to finish with the story that follows. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. One of my favorite stories of Scripture, which I believe brings together several principles, some of which we've already spoken of regarding discipleship. Now, it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. I like this lady already. She must be a good cook. And in the Hebrew, the word for persuaded is, is, is a little stronger than that. It, 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 it literally means to lay hold of. Elisha, you are coming to our house for lunch. It wasn't a question. <laughs> so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. wonder what made this woman notable. In the story of the woman and the oil, it just said a certain woman. In this community of Shunem, perhaps everyone around town knew this woman. Perhaps she ran a bed and breakfast out of their home. And I don't, I don't, I don't exactly know, and we don't know certainly at this point in the story perhaps, what made her notable. But as one of the principal characters of this story. This is a special lady. Verse 9. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. It was evident in their conversations and their interactions around the dinner table as they would visit with this traveling preacher, Elisha. And he would tell them stories of how... Of, 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 about God and about his ministry and about the message he was going about sharing. Verse 10. Please. For it's important to always say, please. She's speaking to her husband now. Let us make... Now, husbands, when your lovely wife says to you regarding a project around the house, hey, why don't we... Who's she talking to? She's talking to you, right? <laughs> and notice, I love this. Notice the plans are, I mean, there's like blueprint. If there was a bubble above her head of all her thoughts, it would include a blueprint and decorations and everything. And she's just pouring it out. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. Let us put a bed in there for him and a table and a, and a chair and a lampstand and make sure it has Wi-Fi. I mean, she's got it all planned out in her head. 
another principle of discipleship for us today is that we must make room for God in our lives. Here's a couple who have been welcoming this preacher into their home, kind of a a representative, if you will, of sorts, of God. (laughs) And they're willing to rearrange their house to accommodate him. And it it doesn't even sound like this should be a a guest room that others might use, but this is going to be his room. You know, when he, when he, when he brings a, a, a scripture scroll with him, let's have a table there where he can lay it out and a lamp that he might study it late into the evening if he likes. It seems tailor-made for the prophet man. Verse 11, And it happened one day that he came there and he turned in to the upper room and lay down there. That's how comfortable he felt in their home. My wife informed me yesterday that we had been invited to lunch to someone's home today and I'll need to meet her in a little while. And when you go over to someone's house, some of the first things you do is, is uh, well, you try to be on your best behavior, you know. <laughs> and, and, and as you go in, do you look for shoes? I always look for shoes. Because I want to know, should I kick my shoes off or do I leave them on? And, 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 you know, there's usually an entryway of sorts, and, you know, and then you, I kind of look to see where the bathroom is, you know, just in case. And then usually uh, someone will invite you into a, a family or a sitting room or, or living room, whatever they call it, where there's comfortable seating. And if it's for a lunch, you know, there's aromas of, oh, I wonder what that is, you know, and, and it's inviting. But seldom do I go to someone's house and find a bedroom and just lay down and go to sleep. And that's kind of what's pictured here for Elisha, who's he's been to this home a number of times and they, oh, this is this is new. This is for me. Whether it's your job, your calendar, your smartphone, your kids, school, work, whatever it may be, there is always more room for God in our lives. I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm busy. All short four-letter words that get in our way of being God's disciple. doesn't mean that we aren't His child. We're just not growing in our relationship with Him. If we are too busy, even doing His business can get in the way of truly abiding with Christ every day. Pastors are equally or even more guilty of replacing devotions with Facebook. being ruled by the number of appointments. Schools started in our conference this past week. I saw one teacher to the north of our conference, that uh, in, our, in our conference, that said, um, 
Well, it's not only the kids that aren't getting much sleep the night before the first day of school. (laughs) The preparations made, the lessons plans laid out, the decorations, whatever it takes to prepare. I believe our teachers are ministers. I believe our teachers hold a 180-day evangelistic series every year. We call it the school year. I believe every child deserves to sit at the feet of a teacher who sits at the feet of Jesus. But I want my child to be a doctor. I want my child to be a lawyer. I want my child to go to Yale or Harvard. Those things are all entirely possible. One of my good friends who I ran into just a week ago is an orthopedic surgeon who, even in his early 40s, already holds the patent on a number of devices that are used in joint replacements. This guy is smart. (laughs) He's a bone doctor. (laughs) Went to a one-room Adventist school in Montana as a kid. One-room school. The academics should be excellent, of course. But I believe there there is many missed opportunities for our children if they don't attend our Adventist schools. Well, now you know where I stand. When someone has done a very kind thing for you, it produces a response. And it comes back to the question we reviewed Earlier, in other stories, just a page or two away from Shunem. (laughs) Elisha and his servant Gehazi, who was always tagging along with him, (laughs) after one of those tremendous meals that the woman of Shunem had prepared, they're talking. He says to her, look, You have been so concerned for us with all this care. Verse 13. What can I do? There it is for you. And even offer some suggestions. Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? Now, in our first two examples, however meager or simple, there was an answer. The first was, oh, that I would have a double portion of your spirit. Oh, that's a good prayer. I imagine that's a prayer that God always wants to answer. And to the woman with, with all the debt and the, the, the fear of her children being taken from her, her answer was, was, I have just a little bit of oil. What can I do for you? And she answered, end of verse 13, I dwell among my own people. When I first read that, I was like, what? What does that even mean? I dwell. Perhaps you could try that at home. If your spouse asks you to empty the dishwasher, you know, hey, honey, would you do this? I dwell among my own people. What does that mean? Except to unpack it just a bit. I am content. This is my town. These are my people. 
This is my life. And I have to imagine that place of peace and contentment had not come easily for this notable woman. It's like saying, thank you, but no. I have everything I need. Tremendous answer. I, I, I just wonder what was going through your mind as you pictured Bill Gates asking you, what can I do for you? Well, this wasn't enough for our prophet man, Elisha. He and Gehazi are talking and, you know, what can be done for her? She's shown so much kindness, gone to so much trouble. And Gehazi answers, verse 14, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. It wasn't very polite, but uh, an accurate observation. You see, for many generations before us, social security was found in the extended family. When you got old, your kids and grandkids took care of you. And the cycle would just repeat itself. And here we had a story just earlier in this same chapter of a widow and two sons. They're trying to make it on their own, trying to do their best. And here we have this couple. And there's no kids. None. And Elisha knows that is the answer and says, hey, 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 call her right now. And she comes and she stands in the doorway. (laughs) That brand new doorway in their home that they had created to make space for the prophet. And he said, verse 16, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Wow. Awesome. And her answer was, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 my Lord. As we peer into her soul through a little window, she says, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to me. Other translations would say, Do not tease me with such fantasies. I dwell among my own people. I have accepted my lot in life. And it hasn't included kids so far. So don't tease me with a hope that I have given up. Then there's a little three-letter word that comes at us like it does you. But (laughs) my ideas and thoughts are going down this direction, but God has a different plan. (laughs) God has different ideas. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. This was already one of those welcoming homes, a place that you felt peaceful and content and cared for. Now the pitter-patter of little feet are added. Oh, what joy that must have brought to this couple. I like this story. And it's no fair that you know the end of this story 
You're already jumping ahead. Yeah, but, 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 but. There are some times in our lives where it seems like having faith in God. <laughs> Man, life is good. I'm feeling pretty good about God and me and life and all of that. Things are going good. That's a really easy time to have faith in God, isn't it? To look at all the blessings around us as we should and give thanks and be grateful. While there isn't a cloud in the sky. Verse 18. And the child grew. And boy, do they. My little bitty kids. They used to cling to my knees and I'd walk around like this. You know, they're almost two years apart. Got a daughter who's now in college. Got a son who's a senior in academy. <laughs> they grow, don't they? It all goes by so fast. That term empty nesters. Yuck. My wife and I aren't used to that just yet. Crazy. It would be all too easy to just throw ourselves in work all the time. Now it happened one day that he went out, this little boy, out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, ah, my head, my head. And so he said to his servant, carry him to his mama. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, and he sat on her knees until noon, and then the child dies. This innocent little boy passes away in the arms of his mother. This story has turned. <laughs> it has soured. It has... Have you ever desired a period where God has a comma? Where you wish you could just stop? Kind of right where we're at? <laughs> and as the clouds are brewing and gathering. No, no, no. Hold them off. Hold them off. This promised boy that the prophet of God had essentially given her, has now been taken away. It's mama's version of Job. But this notable woman is one of action. Verse 21, for those of you still following along, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. You know, that would have made a really convenient nursery or bedroom for the little boy. But here, several years later in the story, that's still the prophet's room. Because they've prioritized their house as such. Lays the boy on the bed of the man of God. Then she calls her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And her husband's like, what? What are you doing? Why are you going to him? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. And she said, end of verse 23, it is well. The Hebrew also implies, because the tense can be either way, it will be well. I kind of tend to lean a little more that direction. You know, it will be because right now 
It isn't well. And yet she says to her husband, well, maybe she doesn't want to worry him too much. And, and she's laid the boy, his lifeless body, on that bed and shut the door. I'm sure hubby's curiosity is piqued because he saw the boy when that pain had first struck and watched as the servant carried him back home. Perhaps he'd already had already come back home before noon. We don't know. Then she saddled a donkey. I love this. And said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. That's like getting in the car and saying, step on it. We're out of here. If we're going too fast on this donkey, I'll let you know. They speed off to the prophet. Drive and go forward. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. 20 miles away. We lived in a little town in Tennessee early in our ministry. Kids were just little. And the town was referred to by its proximity to Knoxville and Nashville and, you know, other, well, they call them Knoxville and Nashville, but, you know. <laughs> and it's called Crossville. Crossville. <laughs> it was a small town. And, and, I mean, the life source of this town was a Walmart supercenter. You know, I mean, that's where you saw most of the church members. If you want to, you know, if you knocked on a few doors and nobody's home, you went to Walmart and there they were. <laughs> it was seven miles from our house. And we thought, oh, that's close, you know, and we'll go over there all the time. And we go and we get diapers and we, oh, we forgot that. And after a while, we began to sound like the locals. That when they forgot something, oh, I don't want to go clear across town to go get that. I'll wait till later. Seven miles. Friends, a 20-mile journey as fast as you can, not in a Toyota Prius, but on a donkey. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, which reminds me of the father on the front porch awaiting his prodigal son. Saw her afar off, and, and said, hey, Gehazi, with your younger eyes, who is that, that cloud of dust? They're coming as fast as they can. Who is it? It looks like the woman of Shunem. Verse 26, please run to meet her. There's a lot of running in this story. And ask, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, Was she lying, being polite? It is well. We'll come back to that thought. Now, when she came to the man of God, she caught him by his feet. Much like Mary in the garden. 
with our freshly risen Lord, prostrate on the ground. Gehazi tries to push her away, and Elisha says, let her alone. Verse 28. Verse 28 is where I sometimes find my heart in this story. Notice the words of this woman, which have been a little confusing at times. I mean, I dwell with my own people and it is well. What Did I ask for this? Ouch. Friends, we sometimes reach a place in our journey of faith in which even the blessings that are somehow taken from us, we say, God, are you messing with me here? Did, did I ask for this? I got so attached, Lord. I mean, only begotten son, I think you can relate to that. Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? I've talked and prayed with many a parent whose child is laying in a hospital bed or is under the knife of a surgeon or is grappling with a diagnosis and dark prognosis. Friends, there are many times in which we ask the why. Elisha says to Gehazi, Get going. That's my translation of verse 29. And he sends his staff with him, like the staff of the rod of Moses, uh, the the walking stick, if you will, a a symbol of his authority. And, And he sends it with and ahead with Gehazi. And the mother of the child says, well, you're not staying here, O prophet man. That's my translation of as the Lord lives and as your soul live, I will not leave you. You're coming with Verse 32. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door behind the two of them. One living, one not. This is the point in the story in which my preacher heart is touched. Because we preachers also need to grow in our faith and never assume anything of God. And here we see Elisha. Well, he, he, he lay on the child. He put it mouth to mouth, eye on eye, hand on hand, stretching himself out. On the child. (laughs) Kind of interesting. Verse 35. And he returned and walked back and forth in the house. 
What's going on here? For he, he, he comes into this room and he, and he shuts the door. And verse 33, the last few words say, and he prayed. <laughs> he prayed like you and I. We pray to the Lord. And he's in the room for a few minutes. And then we see him going back downstairs and walking, pacing around. Because even prophets need to be reminded that God is not just a heavenly vending machine. He also had to exercise faith that God would show up. Well, you know He did. (laughs) And I love God's sense of humor. For when Elisha goes back up, and stretches himself on him one last time, the child awakens and sneezes seven times. (laughs) When a baby is born, we listen for the cry. (laughs) And it seems as parents, the child never stops crying. (laughs) But in this instance, this little boy sits up and sneezes to announce life to the house. And Elisha has the privilege of saying to this woman, pick up your son. Oh, I like the story again. <laughs> what a journey for this Shunammite woman and her, and her husband. For this little boy <laughs> who had a headache and then went to sleep. And the very next thing he knew, he was sitting up talking with Elisha. Oh, <laughs> Oh, how my faith must increase. But I think what impresses me most about this story, and it can be seen in perhaps several different ways, but in the woman's response, it is well. It is well. Whether you choose politeness or faith, I've gone back and forth. I want to conclude with a story that will lead into our closing hymn. Perhaps you know the story of the writer of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Chicago, in the mid-1800s. Horatio and Anna Spafford. He's a successful attorney and and, and she, a stay-at-home mom, as they begin having children and, and his business is booming and he's buying up properties around Chicago. And they have their first child, which is a girl, and their second comes along, it's a girl. Their third child comes along and it's a girl. Number four comes along and it's a girl. And number five comes along and it's a boy. Uh, 1870, that little boy, Just like the woman of Shunem, this little boy at age four dies of scarlet fever. Oh, what a blow to this family. And then in 1871, just a year later, the Great Chicago Fire wipes out much of their possessions. A couple years go by and Horatio says to Anna, we've got to go on a holiday. I mean, we've got to take a sabbatical. (laughs) 
And they were big supporters of D.L. Moody. You've heard of the Moody Bible Institute. And, and, and Moody was doing meetings over in Europe. And they thought, well, let's go join him, support his meetings, and we'll travel around a bit. And we'll stay a few months and just rest and spend time as a family. And so they traveled from Chicago to New York by train to board a boat, a steamer. And just before they board, he gets a telegram, not a text, but a telegram, that's what I guess text originated is, and he's needed back in Chicago. He makes the decision to send Anna and the four girls ahead so that he can go back to Chicago, take care of the business, and, and then travel back and join them. For those of you that know the story, the Ville de Havre, the ship on which Anna and those four precious girls gets halfway across the Atlantic and collides with another ship and sinks in less than 30 minutes. It is gone. Claiming the lives of many of those passengers, including all four of those daughters. Anna sends a message to Horatio. Saved alone. Of course, Horatio travels quickly to New York, gets on the next steamer. And a while later, the captain calls him to the bridge and says, we've done some calculations and we believe that we are now passing over the place where the de Havre went down and the water is three miles deep. He goes back to his room. And in those moments and the, perhaps the days that followed, he penned the words that we will sing. When peace like a river attendeth my way. Or when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well with my soul. You notice the song doesn't say it is well with my wallet. You notice the song doesn't say it is wealthy with my possessions. But that's where faith and our journey on this earth, this planet that's breaking apart as it seems, it's where faith comes in, doesn't it? In whatever earthly circumstances we find ourselves, we can say, it is well with my soul because of Jesus. Because what he's done for us on the cross. Because what he invites us to himself as his follower, as his child. No amount of pain or possessions can take that away from you. I am challenged, I have to say, by this, by this admonition to say, it is well. I, I, because we sing them and we often don't think while we're singing, I'm sorry, I, I just have to read verse 2 and 3 of it is well with my soul before we sing them. My sin, oh, the joy of this glorious thought. My sin, not just part of it, but the whole thing is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. So praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord, O my soul. Verse 3, and Lord, come on, Adventists. We know this last verse. And Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. The clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. The trump will resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Oh, so many of our hymn writers wrote a whole lot more verses because they knew we wouldn't sing them. I always thought if I wrote a hymn, I'd only write a first and last verse. Here is another verse that Horatio penned, and I want to read it to you before we sing. And it goes right along with the tune there. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest for my soul. Oh, we ought to pencil that one into the Adventist hymnal. Oh, blessed hope, blessed rest for my soul. Let's join together. It's hymn number 530. I love the message. And knowing a little of the story and the journey of the writer of these words. And I hope today that your faith has increased just a little bit. That in the coming week, you will be able to say, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul.
the day. <laughs> Precious Lord, there are so many things that if we took the time to list them all, they represent that we're worn out by the things of this world. Even the good things that come along and can be taken so easily away, Lord. But you know, as our God, what it's like to live on this planet. You know. You've experienced the hurt, the pain. You've also given us hope. Lord, may our faith in you only grow stronger in the good times and the bad times. Because, Lord, we want to learn from you that whatever our lot, we will respond. It is well with my soul because our faith is in you not the things around us or even the people Lord thank you for taking upon yourself our sin and thank you that you are coming soon oh Jesus may those in our lives that we cross paths See in us that light of faith, for it is well with our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.